Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And just on the other side of the Harpeth River from me here in Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Uh, Excited for another show. Excited to get this thing rolling. Uh, We're closing in on the the end of the regular season for the Hilltoppers and not the Western Kentucky version, uh, but the green and white. Uh, Getting ready for our first round playoff matchup against the I forget what their mascot is but their uniforms look exactly like Syracuse if that tells you anything um, it's Summit High School uh, so we, we're, we're looking forward to that uh, they got a couple key injuries that might give us a chance to win that game so uh, otherwise we're going to try to pull a, a uh, an FCS versus SEC type of upset so I'm uh, I'm excited, man. But uh, we got we got a good slate of college games, so let's uh, let's 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 get into it, man. Well, coach, I know your quarterback has been injured too, so I hope he is getting well soon. But we would be remiss if we don't introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who always wanted to pretend he was an architect. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook. That is a Seinfeld reference. Uh, George Costanza has that line for people that are. Under the age of 30. Yes, that is indeed a Seinfeld reference. I was on a Seinfeld binge today, and I watched that episode, and it just felt right. So, anyhow, uh, we've got some big-time matchups here in Week 9, so uh, we're going to get right into it with some quick slants. And uh, Josh, you're up first. Yeah, I have an American game that caught my eye immediately. It's Friday night, 8 p.m. Central, ESPN, the Deuce, watch it. Do yourself a favor. Uh, Tulsa. Yeah, the train's excited. Uh, Tulsa, a team that we all had a sleeper, is struggling. They're two and six, one and three. But they travel to Gerald J. Ford Stadium down there in Dallas to take on the Ponies, who are five and two, two and one. Chad Morris got that marquee win a year ago over Houston. Is it? has the beginnings of that breakthrough season for a coach in their rebuild project here in year three. A win will get them bowl eligible their first time, but they've got bigger fish to fry potentially. They're two and one in the American, and their division right now is a total mess. Uh, Memphis leads it at three and one, then it's SMU. The Navy's at three and two, and Houston's at two and two. Well, SMU's lost to Houston, but they haven't played the other folks. They play Memphis later, Navy later. Uh, They host Central Florida in a crossover game, but they are right in the thick of this division race pony up. Ooh. That's an interesting matchup right there. I like it a lot. Uh, Coach, uh, you, uh, you, you ready for a little cocktail party this weekend? 
I'm always ready for a little cocktail party, and and I hope that Florida uh, decides to wear those uh, puke-worthy uh, gator skin uniforms again, so we can completely embarrass them. Um, and I say we because I'm a graduate of the University of Georgia, so I get to say we. Some people can't really say we, but um, I can say we about the about the Georgia Bulldogs, just like Matt. You could say we about the Wisconsin Badgers. Listen, Coach, I say we about about a half dozen schools at this point. I mean, I, I say we about not just Wisconsin, but UCLA, Syracuse, Dartmouth, Vanderbilt. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, I, I'm I'm racking up that list too. I say we about Florida State. I say we about Middle Tennessee. And I thought you said we about UT Martin also. No, yeah. dude, Austin P. Man, Austin. Oh, you're oh, you're a governor's fan. Okay. Yeah, it's all about the Govs, dude. They, uh, they. I mean, we we laugh about the Govs, but they were they had like the nation's longest losing streak. Dude, speaking of the Govs, they uh, they play UCF this weekend. That oh, is no. not going to be very close. Whatever kind of momentum they have is is, is going to end <laughs> this weekend. But uh, they've been rolling, dude. They they uh, they went and embarrassed uh, TSU at, at their at their own homecoming. But anyway, I digress. So um, Kirby Smart brings his Bulldog squad in. They're seven and zero. This this will be the like I, I think officially the East clincher, um, and we'll keep them in that playoff contender spot. Um, as they're third ranked in the country. So um, one of the things that's going to uh, play a factor in this game is obviously the weather. Um, the forecast is calling for anywhere between 50% 80% chance rain. So um, that's going to be, you know, that's going to probably fit right into Georgia's strengths. I mean, Georgia is strongest running the ball and defending the run. Uh, I, don't, I don't know their exact national ranking on that, but they are, I know they're tops in the league, and that's kind of what they're strong at. Florida, um, they rank um, – what goes against Florida is they rank 11th in the SEC in passing offense, so they're kind of right there uh, bottom half but close to the middle, um, pretty average. Uh, but they had some of those outlying stats. Uh, it's going to be a tough go for Felipe Franks, I think. He's going to be harassed all day long. I, I don't think Florida has anybody that can block uh, that can – Block Davin Bellamy and Leonard, uh, Leonard Floyd. Uh, I just drew a freaking blank. Um, who's, <laughs> who's the other? Rokon Smith? No. Bad I just drew a blank. Uh, anyway, uh, they they can't, they can't block anybody. They can't block Roquan either. So um, it, it's just there's a lot of things that are playing against Florida right now. Their teams, you know. We spoke about it uh, when we did the recap, and they're 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 receiving death threats, and uh, it's it's I don't know, it's it's crazy. Um, there's just a lot of distractions going on. Uh, McElwain, his job could be potentially in jeopardy if they take one on the chin. Um, they've had all those suspensions and guys that are out, and it's it's just a tough go for the Gators. And I think too many things are going wrong for the Gators, and too many things are going right for the dogs. And uh, I think it's going to be a I'm not going to say it to beat down because it's in Jacksonville every year. Um, and you can't really – that plays a huge factor too, just the venue for, for whatever reason Georgia struggled there lately. So, um, you know, a win will be – a any win will be a good win uh, for Georgia. Just They just need to get the series back in the right direction. 
Uh, Coach, I think you were looking for either Jonathan Ledbetter or Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Carter, Zoe. There you have it. Zoe. I don't there know why I drew a blank on that. I, I, was, I was like rolling along, and then all of a sudden, you know how you're just talking, and just all of a sudden, just a name just flies right out of, right out of the window. That's just what happened. Well, I mean, I can't blame you. Maybe you're uh, starting on those cocktails a little before the game. Yeah, but uh, my uh, my first quick slant here today, gentlemen, uh, it's a big interdivisional matchup within the American Conference. Josh already touched on one game in the American. I'm going to go to another one uh, this weekend when Houston is heading to undefeated South Florida. Uh, the Cougars are coming off back-to-back losses, but they are always dangerous under first year head coach Major Applewhite, um, especially because All-American defensive tackle Ed Oliver is getting healthier every week. Even though he's been, you know, playing through some injuries this year, he's already racked up 42 tackles, including seven for a loss, two forced fumbles already on the season. Uh, on the flip side, the Bulls will hope to continue the nation's longest winning streak. It's currently at 12 games. And they also have um, a modern collegiate record uh, in the fact that they have scored 30 points or more in 24 straight games. Uh, Quentin Flowers, USF's quarterback, was considered by many, including me, to be a dark horse Heisman contender before the season. But his stats this year have not quite been the same as they were last season under Willie Taggart. That being said, he's still uh, done a very nice job behind center, throwing for 1,245 yards and 12 scores, as well as rushing for 613 yards and seven more touchdowns. Uh, he's also got two really good running mates in the backfield in Darius Tice and Dearness uh, Johnson, both of whom have at least 550 yards and five scores apiece. Um, I think the real key to look at in this game is going to be the turnover battle uh, because in their three losses, Houston has coughed up the ball 11 times. Uh, That is not good. And USF leads the country with 16 interceptions so far on the season. I think that Houston can keep it close if Kyle Postma can keep the interceptions down and keep getting the ball to his dynamic duo of Stephen Dunbar and Linnell Bonner on the outside. But he hasn't proven that he can against uh, the best and toughest matchups so far this year. So I'm going to take the Bulls at home 38-24 to in this one. But if, you know, if Houston is able to manage uh, you know, manage the turnovers and, and keep them down. I think we could be in for a really, really tough game for Charlie Strong and the Bull Squad. So, uh, Josh, you've got a you want to talk Floyd Rosedale? Well, naturally, it is uh, Floyd Rosedale week here between Minnesota and Iowa, and it's kind of a gut check game for both teams. They're four and three. Just one and three in conference, the uh, the division race, which both teams were a little bit of sleepers in, is pretty much done outside of an epic, epic collapse by Wisconsin, which just doesn't seem likely with their schedule. But Yeah, they've got uh, Illinois this weekend. They are the biggest favorite in all of FBS this weekend. Yeah, but the, uh, you know, the theme for this game is – PJ Flex crew just has had a hard time finishing games. Uh, just can't seem to find a way to win. They finally did last week against Illinois, but it wasn't that impressive against Illinois. Uh, their defense is 25th in scoring, but they're giving up 
more points here in conference play. Uh, 31 to Maryland, 31 to Purdue, 30 to Michigan State. Iowa on the flip side is stuck in molasses. So I'm kind of using that 30-point mark as a little bit of a barometer. That seems like what good offenses are putting up against the Gophers. See how close Iowa can get to it. Uh, winning would be extra nice, but, man, the way Iowa's looked, um, I don't blame my parents for skipping that game and coming to Chicago to visit me. Uh, is the game at uh, at Kinnick this weekend? It is at Kinnick. But uh, we have we have tickets for the theater on Ooh, Sunday. I believe you're going to see late. Uh, you're going to see late Miz, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we are. They were planning to watch the game, go to the game because they assumed it would be 11 for two crappy teams. But uh, FS1 must have had a hole in their programming, and they put our game at 5:30 for some reason. Well, I I think that the appropriate. Uh, I think the appropriate song for this uh, uh, to, to describe the Floyd Rosedale this year from uh, from Les Mis might be uh, "On My Own" because that's how Kirk Ferentz must feel right now. Because the, I, I think the team, I, I, I think I think the team has completely abandoned him at this point because they are not doing anything. Uh, Coach, uh, I think for your second slant, you want to take us around the rest of the SEC, which does not have a lot of really great matchups this weekend in fact in my opinion uh strangely enough the best matchup might be arkansas at Ole miss yeah that might be the most even and not for positive reasons but uh, <laughs> arkansas Ole miss is the uh stoppable force meeting the movable object is that right yep is that, is that correct yeah saying um Anyway, uh, it's 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 going to be the pillow fight of all pillow fights. I think Ole Miss is is got a roll here. Ole Miss, even without uh, Shea Patterson. Yeah, I just think I don't know. It, I just feel like Arkansas is just so bad right now. They're they're reeling. They're just they're on the verge of of really just tapping out and giving up. And uh, I, Ole Miss has played well at times. Uh, and I think you know they're they're they're. They play well enough at times to, to compete with anybody. And then they play poorly enough at times to – I'm not sure they could compete in the Ohio Valley Conference. So it's, it's just – it's one of those type deals for, for Ole Miss. You know, they – and even in some of their losses, um, like their loss to Cal, they, they had some signs of life. And their loss to LSU, um, you know, they still scored 24 uh, – Against against LSU, they they put up twenty three against a very good Auburn team. Um, so it's just really kind of all over the place. But but you know, no no Shea Patterson that definitely hurts. And uh, but I, I think they have enough around them that maybe they can survive this game. And I don't know if they're going to roll, but I, I I do think they come out victorious. I, I just think I just think too many things are going wrong for Arkansas. But then you go down to. Uh, Another struggling team, Vanderbilt, really looking for some positive momentum here. Uh, they've been getting obliterated here of late. Uh, it doesn't, and now they have to take a tough road trip to Columbia to take on Jake Bentley and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, Brian Edwards uh, has been Jake Bentley's favorite target so far. Uh, 33 catches, 420 yards, and, uh, and a touchdown. Ralph Webb doing big things for Vanderbilt. So, uh, it, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's just going to come down to can Vanderbilt, uh, can their defense, you know, just stop the bleeding 
uh, you know, they're, they're, they're gashed open pretty good right now. And, you know, they just need to stop the bleeding and, you know, have some positive things going for them. Maybe if they, you know, maybe if they can find a way to win the turnover battle and get some positive momentum, their offense is, is one of those type of offenses that if you give them a chance, they can score and they can move the ball. Um, it's just sometimes they get put in tough situations and they can't move the ball. So it's going to come down to that, really. Uh, South Carolina is just going to have to jump on them early. If they jump on Vanderbilt early, they'll, you know, they'll be able to they'll be able to get Vanderbilt to shut down or or at least just get in a slight panic mode. So it'll be kind of an interesting interesting contest there. Uh, Missouri at Connecticut. Um, that's going to be an interesting match, um, not only because it's uh, Missouri and they're kind of pitiful, but um, future conference game. Yeah, maybe it's a future conference game. I don't know, but well, um, at some point, at some point, the SEC is going to kick Missouri out. Yeah, they're going to temple them. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but but I do like Drew Locke a lot. I think he is probably the most talented quarterback in this conference. Unfortunately, he plays. Nah, for, I, I, I'm going to push back against that, Coach. I still think Shea Patterson's the most talented quarterback in this conference. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I. I, I, do. I Seeing Drew Lock play, I think you know some of the throws he makes is is unbelievable. But um, the next matchup is Mississippi State, Texas A and M. Probably, probably two very similar teams if you really look at them. Uh, their records are just alike, but they play very similarly uh, styles of football. Both high high octane type offenses. Um, both really streaky offenses can get hot and cold uh, very easily. A um, and M, I think, has the upper hand here because they're at home at Kyle Field. Um, so they've got that going for him. Christian Kirk is always a dangerous weapon, not only in the, not only on offense, but in special teams as well in the return game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Nick Fitzgerald can win a big, big conference road game uh, for uh, for Dan Mullen's Bulldogs. And then last and certainly least, um, the 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 home state Tennessee Vols travel to Lexington. Uh, they will be short two extremely. Key players, uh, John Kelly and Will Ingnott. Uh, John Kelly, the uh, he is the offense. Uh, he decided he was going to carry some some uh, marijuana in his car, got busted, and got suspended. Uh, same with Will Ingnott. He decided he was going to carry. They were riding together. They were riding together, and uh, <laughs> they just decided it'd be a good idea to to drive around Knoxville with marijuana in the car. So they will not be making the trip to Kentucky. It's getting it's going from bad to worse uh, for the Vols, and they might just take one on the chin this weekend. They had a chance, and I think their chance just went away with uh, with some weed. So, yeah, um, it's, it's going to be I, – I find it very, very difficult for Tennessee to win this game now, especially being on the road. So that that's uh, that's all of your SEC. I mean, if I'm John Kelly, I'd probably rather sit at home and and, and smoke my pot instead of uh, playing for Tennessee uh, at Kentucky this weekend. So that's uh, true. honestly, well, I, I kind of don't blame him on this one. So, so in regards to the best quarterback in the SEC, um, I know he's young, but thinking about upside, I'll tell you who I would like on um, my Iowa Hawkeyes. I wouldn't mind having Kellen Mond. Kelamon, Kelamon, or Tua Tagovailoa, I, I, I think those th- those two guys you got to look at. Really, if you if you go upside, you've got to you've got to look at Mon Tagovailoa, and you got to put Jake Fromm in that category as far as upside. He's not there yet, but you got to you got to put him on in the upside category. I just don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not it's definitely not Austin Allen. Um, you know, 
I like, um, you know, you know, for the most part, I like what I've seen out of Jake Bentley, but he's still got a long ways to go. He's a sophomore, but he's still only 18 years old. Um, so, but anyhow, um, for my second slant though, um, I'm not going to talk about a game, but instead uh, I want to talk about something uh, that was released earlier today by USA Today. Uh, They published their definitive list of coaching salaries for all the schools uh, in FBS, save for nine uh, private institutions that have not released um, how much they are paying their coaches. Those schools are Miami Air Force, USC Temple, Syracuse, Tulane, BYU, Baylor, and Army. But I had a couple thoughts that I sort of wanted to share with you guys about that. So first of all, it's no surprise that Nick Saban tops the list. He makes over $11 million per season. What did surprise me, though, was to find out that number uh, that, that $11 million figure is more than double what any other coach in the league is making. Number two in the SEC is Texas A&M's Kevin Sumlin, who clocks in at $5 million. And that $11 million figure is 10 times what Matt Luke is making at Ole Miss this season. Uh, Obviously, uh, Matt Luke also uh, is getting the least of any Power 5 school. Um, Obviously, he, you know, that sort of, uh, the situation Ole Miss was sort of thrown together at the last minute after everything that happened this past summer. As for group of five coaches, SMU's Chad Morris tops the list at just over $2 million per season. He's right ahead of Scott Frost and Ken Niamatololo, who are both being compensated compensated at $2 million even for their work. The American Conference, in fact, has the five highest paid group of five coaches, those three previously mentioned, plus Luke Fickle and Mike Norvell. So it's no surprise to see that uh, the American is the best conference within the group of five, and that is reflected in their coaching pay. Lovey Smith, he has a great agent. Uh, he has a $16.5 million buyout, which is the 11th highest in the country. Uh, even though Illinois might want to get out from under that contract, they're not going to be able to do so. Uh, so sorry, Illini, you are stuck with Lovey for the, uh, for the time being. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, on the other hand, fifth highest paid coach in the country. He's coming in, he clocks in at over uh, a little bit over $6 million per season, but his buyout is reasonably low at uh, $6,487,500, which is only 43rd in the country. Uh, Josh, got some bad news for you, buddy. Mm. I, I know it's, I, I know Kirk's got to go, but his, do you know what his buyout is? So knowing our dumb AD, it's uh, $38 billion. <laughs> $22.5 million, the fifth highest in the country behind only Dabo Swinney, Jimbo Fisher, Chris Peterson, and Nick Saban. Well, he certainly earned it. Yeah, so he's not going anywhere. A decade ago. Yeah. Uh, Paul Christ is the ninth highest paid coach in the Big Ten. Uh, yet he has the third best winning percentage in the league. Um, he also has a very low buyout, not that Wisconsin would want to buy out uh, Paul Christ, not only just because he's an alumnus, but he is a very successful head coach. Um, I figured that it would be the Sun Belt that, has, that would be the lowest paying conference overall in the country, but it actually turns out that it's the MAC. Uh, the highest paid coach in the conference is Tim Lester at Western Michigan, and he's only making 800000 a year. Uh, and they have nine of the bottom 20 paid coaches in the country. Uh, 
the American in, uh, is actually the most balanced conference. All their coaches rank between 55th and 77th in the country in terms of total compensation, which is uh, you know uh, the smallest deviation uh, from average uh, per coach. And finally, uh, Justin Wilcox, our man out at Cal, he needs a better agent. He is he makes more than a million dollars less than the second lowest paid head coach in the Pac-12. And that's Gary Anderson, who left his job a couple of weeks back at Oregon State. So, uh, yeah, so Justin Wilcox coming in at a little under $1.6 million per year. Gary Anderson was making over $2.6 per year. Everyone else in the Pac-12 is uh, pretty much at $3 million or above. So, Can I ask why uh, Army and Air Force and Navy don't release – uh, Navy did. Uh, we, oh, we, Navy we, did. We, we, yeah, we, Kenny Matalolo's uh, compensation is $2 million exactly per year. Why doesn't Army and Air Force? Uh, that I, I, I do not know, quite frankly. Because last time I checked, they are both partially, if not majoritarily, funded via tax dollars. But I would imagine that they are enti- pretty much entirely funded by tax dollars. But um, you don't – they don't make – you know, if you go to Army, Air Force, Navy, you don't pay tuition. So, you know, I, and, you know besides, you know, private donations, you know, they're pretty much entirely funded by, by tax and grant money. So, anyhow. Uh, Which but, last time I checked makes them a public university. Yeah, they are, but they're not state schools. So, <clears throat> um, anyhow. Gentlemen, it's pop quiz time. Get out your pen and paper. Um, so, so, gentlemen, and I use the term loosely, um, this, uh, this quiz, you guys have been doing so well that I had to ratchet back up the difficulty this week. So, um, gentlemen, there have been 15 different players in the history of college football that have fo- thrown for more than 4,800 yards in a single season. Four players have done it multiple times. Your goal is to name those 15 players, starting with you, Josh. Uh, what was the number again, and how many? 4,800 4, yards passing in a single season, and there are 15 players who have done so. So right around 5,000 for a yeah. single season. Yeah, basically, what it, 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 at basically averaging 400 yards a game or better. Okay. Um. I'm going to go with mm, one of those Texas Tech kids. I, I'm going to say Mahomes has done it. Patrick Mahomes did it last season, 5,052 yards. Yes. I'm going to go off the wall here, Timmy Chang. Uh, Timmy Chang actually never did it. <laughs> that was going to be my, one of my first guesses, too. Timmy Chang has not done it. I'm sorry. Uh, there, there, there's another. There are two other Hawaii quarterbacks that have, but Timmy Chang is not. Uh, when in doubt, go with Timmy Chang. I like that. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to stick in the Big 12 uh, because Okie State passes it a whole bunch. Um, did the Weed Man do it? Weed Man did not do it. No! Oof, two early strikes, Roscoe. I'm going for broke here. I'm staying on the island. I'm going to go Colt Brennan. Colt Brennan, that is correct. Colt Brennan uh, did it in 2006 when he threw for 5,549 yards. All right. Which is the fifth highest total ever in a single season. 
so Lavelle Edwards, the fun and gun back in the great days of the whack. He won a Heisman by putting up a whole bunch of yards. I think Ty Detmer did this. Ty Detmer comes in at number six on the list, 5,188 yards, 1990 yes. at BYU. That is correct. All right. Uh, let's go Texas Tech and Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell. Oh, nice. Yeah, great pull coach. He did it twice, in fact. Uh, in 2007, he threw for 5,705 yards. As well, in 2008, uh, he threw for 5,111 yards. Nice. Nice. Uh, I think he might have done it back with uh, Coach GQ as his offensive coordinator. But I remember Case Keenum throwing a boatload of yards. Case Keenum uh, comes in with seasons number three and four. Uh, um, he on. Uh, in 2009, he threw for 5,671 yards. In 2011, 5,631 yards. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you guys have two of the four who've done it. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Case Keenum did it a third time in 2008. He did it f- with 5,020 yards. So oh, you have, wait. If he, if he has three of the top 15, is, the, is he the NCAA all-time leading? He is. Okay. Yeah, Case Keenum has the NCAA record for uh, most career passing yards. Nice. Right. I'm going run and shoot and say Andre Ware. Andre oh, Ware, uh, good guess, not quite. He was uh, he was about 4,700 yards. He did not quite make the cut. Go for 100 wow. yards. <laughs> um, so if Coach GQ did it as an offensive coordinator, I'm going to say Coach GQ did it as a player, too. Did Kingsbury get it done? Cliff Kingsbury, number 15 in 2002, 5,017 yards. Damn, that was my next guess. Well done. Okay. Um, All right, I'm going to have to go with uh, Hal Mummy, original Tim Couch. Tim Couch. Ooh, good good guess, but not quite. Tim Couch, not on the list. There, There is a Tim on the list, though. It's not Timmy Chang. God almighty. <laughs> uh, but it, it's someone who got drafted right around the same time as Tim Couch. Um, mm. Mm. From a school that was in the world. Oh, oh, Tim Rattay. That is correct. Tim Rattay, 1998 at Louisiana Tech, 4,943 yards. Do I get bonus points if I tell you who he's drafted by? Yeah, why not? 49ers. Nice work. Nice work. Josh? Hmm. Hmm. God. So, do I get points if I can describe what he looks like and don't know his name? Sure. Well, if you can, what, what team? Uh, back with Dino Babers, he won the MAC uh, Bowling Green. The dude had like a mustache and wore like this big headband. I want to say his last name was like Johnston or something. Was yeah, Matt Matt Johnson, four thousand oh, nine hundred and forty-six yards, two thousand fifteen in yeah. Bowling Green. Nice. I remember his scraggly facial hair. I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> I'm being generous on this one. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. What about the greatest commercial actor of all time, uh, Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning? No, sorry. Um, there's, there is a set of brothers on here who have both done it. A set of brothers? Marlon and Damon Wayans? Oh. 
<laughs> no, dude, Keenan Ivory, um, all the way, son. Oh, damn it, wrong way. Are you alluding to the Carr brothers? Yes, I am indeed alluding to the Carr brothers. Derek Carr, 2013, 5,083 yards at Fresno State. David Carr in 2001, 4,839 <sighs> yards at Fresno State. Mm. I would not have guessed that Derek had more than David for some reason. Uh, well, I think in 2013 he he got an extra game or two on David, so oh, okay. that would have that would have Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford's got to be on. That Sam list. Bradford fell just short. He's yeah, uh, yep. Yeah, uh, the, the Heisman winning year, he was like 4,780 yards. Getting he, all these almost guys. Yeah, man. Close only <laughs> counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, though. Um, the year he was a Heisman finalist, did Mariota put it up? Marcus Mariota, no, he did not. Oh, finally, Josh uh, gets one wrong. Jesus, that's disappointing. How close was he? Um, let me. I I only have the ones that. Um, hold on, let me pull up the the fullest. I only have the ones who did it. I while, while you're thinking of that, while, uh, hold on, Deshaun, while I'm pulling it up. Who? Deshaun Watson. Nope. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, quarterback. Marcus Mariota, by the way, f- uh, had 4,454 yards in his uh-huh. Heisman campaign. Uh, Timmy Chang, uh, he came his closest season, he had 4,474 yards. Uh-huh. Deshaun Watson, 4,593 yards. Uh-huh. Um, Andre Ware, 4,699 yards. Sam Bradford, 4,720 yards. The Weed Man, 4,727 yards. Coach, did you say Bradford? Yeah, I said Bradford. Uh, Then I'll do the other Oklahoma gunslinger. Did Landry Jones do it? No. What? Oh, man. Who are... Landry Jones, uh, 4,267 yards. What, what about their other Heisman guy, Jason White? <laughs> Jason White, no, he not even Didn't close. Didn't think so, but yeah, I was He's not even close. He's not even in the top 100. All right, I'm so. going to get another big red X here, but uh, actually, Eli Manning. No. <laughs> not in the top 100. I guess both Manning brothers, I love that. Uh, <laughs> Cooper? <laughs> I don't know if there. I don't know if there are like pretty much any SEC quarterbacks. I, al- top one I also like that when Matt's brothers did it. I totally forgot about Eli. I can't believe there's no Kentucky quarterbacks on that list. When how Mummy was there? Mm, Jared Lorenzen's not on that list at all. There are no Tim Couch's high was four thousand two hundred seventy-five in nineteen ninety-eight. Um, I know there's a Georgia quarterback. Uh, there is, though, however, a Western Kentucky quarterback on here who appeared, who was one of the multiples, who was on it twice. Did Goff do it two years ago? Uh, Goff, no, he fell just short, four thousand seven hundred fourteen. Dang it. I can't think of the dude's name from Western Kentucky. So, if Josh, if you know his name, you can you can beat me on that one. But uh, did Stock still do it? Uh, Stock still did not do it. Uh, I I don't know the Western Kentucky quarterback, unfortunately. It's uh, Brandon Doty. Oh, that name sounds familiar. Brandon yeah. Doty did it in 2014 and 2015. Um, so you guys both have, you guys both have uh, three strikes at this point. Uh, Josh wins this one. Uh, neither of you though did, got. Did Luke Falk do it? Or Connor Holiday, those Wazoo quarterbacks? 
No. I have, I have 14 Man. strikes. Does that count? Yeah, close yeah. enough. So you, neither of you guys got uh, the person who has the most in one single season. That is BJ Simons from Texas Tech in, back in 2003, 5,833 yards. Wow. Who the hell is BJ Simons? He, I mean, he played for the Pirate, man. Um, that, that's all I can say. Um, I guess like every Pirate quarterback but him. So BJ Simons followed by Graham Harrell. <laughs> two Case Keenum seasons followed by uh, Colt Brennan. Uh, followed by Ty Detmer, David Klingler from the 1990 Houston team. Who the heck? You're just like, wrong, wrong run and shoot guy. Wrong run and shoot guy. Another Graham Harrell season, Derek Carr. Uh, Paul Smith from <laughs> 2007 Tulsa. I think that's a made up name from uh, NCAA football. Uh, one of the Brandon Doty seasons, Patrick <laughs> and Mahomes. Then Mike Jones. Uh, Bryant Moniz, Bryant Moniz, he's from 2010 Hawaii. He had 5,040 yards. What did um, 2010 Hawaii even do? I'm I don't know. Uh, a third case they came probably in went season. to the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, they always go. They could went 10 and 4. Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Matt Johnson, Tim Rattay, David Carr, and Brandon Doty. So you guys actually got most of them. You actually got, I think, about uh, 11 or 12 of the 15 different players. I got the next – all 14 of my strikes were the next 14 people. So, uh, Coach, you were right, though. They went 10 of 4 and played in the Hawaii Bowl. They always played in the Hawaii Bowl. So uh, a, cu- a couple of guys who just missed the cut, Sonny Cumbie from Texas Tech in 2004. Again, 2000, Texas Tech quarterback who no one's ever heard of. Uh, Shane Carden from East Carolina. Sonny, Sonny Cumbie, is a, he's, a, he's an offensive coordinator over at uh, TCU, I think. Well, there you have it. Um, Shane Carden from East Carolina a couple of years back. The Weed Man, Sam Bradford, Landry Jones, Jared Goff, Andre Ware, Sean Mannion. Uh, another Patrick Mahone season, Chase Holbrook at New Mexico State, and Ryan Higgins uh, round out the top 30. Uh, where's where's an Iowa quarterback? Uh, uh, there is not an Iowa quarterback in the top 100. Where, where's, <laughs> where's David Green? He's got to be in the top 300 somewhere. I've only got the top 100 in front of me. Top so. 300. <laughs> D- David Green averaged about 110 yards a game. But he would throw, like, four touchdowns. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, uh, another fun pop quiz. Uh, but it's time for us to get into some deep roots. So uh, let's get it started off. Out in the Big 12, we have uh, the Pokes of Oklahoma State coming off of a tough overtime victory in Austin. Now they get to head to Morgantown for an early kickoff. Uh 12 noon Eastern uh, against the West Virginia Mountaineers who themselves had uh, um, uh, had a very close call uh, out in Texas at in Waco last weekend. So uh, Josh, we've got two potent offenses here, um, but which defense do you think is going to be able to slow down the other offense enough? Mm. Well, I mean, let me jump in for you, Josh. <laughs> this is easy. Um, I think Oklahoma. I think this is Taylor' main matchup for Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's defense is a lot better than people are giving credit for. Um, I think they have the upper hand in this matchup. I agree. I was going to say West Virginia's defense really hasn't stopped anybody. I mean, like Baylor put up thirty six in that big comeback. 
Texas Tech had the big lead and was up by 35, or not up by 35, but put up 35 points. Kansas moved the ball on them. Uh, I think Oklahoma State, despite the tight game a week ago, is just top to bottom better. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State just came off a very physical game. I think think they just didn't match up with Texas's defense because they can't handle big physical uh, front seven players uh, that Texas brought to the table. I'm talking about linebackers and defensive line. I think West Virginia's guys are smaller and quicker, and I think they I think they're better suited to to get those guys blocked up. And I think you know they're they're West Virginia's the type of team that you can get a you can you can really get on a roll against them. Uh, and if Oklahoma State gets on a roll, it's really difficult to stop them. Definitely when they definitely. When, they, when they get when they get moving, it's it's over. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think, you know, the only thing you have to be concerned about if you're Oklahoma is that they might be looking ahead to Bedlam next week, you know, because, um, you know, they're going to – I don't think that the, the mullet will have them, you know – I think the mullet will have them locked in on this one because, obviously, West Virginia is a very formidable opponent. But, you know, Oklahoma State still has – um, you know, not everything, but almost everything to play for in the in, in the Big 12, especially because they are having a championship game this year. And even though they have that one loss at TCU, uh, they beat Oklahoma and they will be in the catbird seat to uh, be that second team in the conference championship. But you cannot look you cannot look overlook West Virginia, especially in Morgantown. So um, but Mountaineers don't light those couches on fire just yet. Um, you know, well, uh, if Oklahoma State's looking past West Virginia for bedlam, then it's equally a good argument to say that West Virginia's looking past Okie State to post nationally ranked Iowa State. Oh, yeah. Well, we will be getting to Iowa State a little bit later here in this preview, but um, let's head to the college game day game of the week at the horseshoe. Uh, number two, Penn State coming off of a completely dominant performance. Uh, over Michigan last week, uh, heads to Columbus to take on the Ohio State University. Um, uh, Josh, uh, been reading up on this game. Uh, got a fun stat for you. Uh, Urban Meyer in his career. 20 and Yeah, he's 20 and 1. <laughs> he's 20 and 1 in his career off of coming off of bye weeks. That one loss was after coming off of his, his first year at Bowling Green and when he lost to a Ben Roethlisberger-led Miami of Ohio squad. Yeah, 20 in so, a row. Yeah, 20 in a row, including 5-0 and against top 25 teams. So um, are, can they pick off this Penn State team that is running on all cylinders on both sides of the ball right now? They can't pick them off. First of all, the, the shoe is a house of horrors. Many a good team have come in and suffered a loss. Um, but I will say, Josh, I'm kind of surprised this isn't a night game. It's a 2.30 uh, p.m. kick. That's a bizarre thing. I, I guess it's on Fox, maybe with the World Series. Who knows? Um, but That's probably exactly what it is. They didn't want to run this up against the World Series because you have the L.A. market and you have the Houston market, which are two really pretty big markets as far as TV goes. So yeah, numbers two and yeah, four but in the this, country. This is Western PA in Columbus, Ohio. So the, the uh, World Series is a huge deal for Fox. They that's yeah. it's like they're you know it's their Super Bowl they, basically. I don't think they get the Super Bowl this year, so this is their Super Bowl. 
that yeah. and the Daytona 500. Yeah, I think, you know, Ohio State, tons of athletes. They're going to give Penn State all they can handle. There's the revenge factor. There's the, you know, play at home factor, the horseshoe. Like I said, a house of horse for a lot of teams. Uh, but I, I do have a little bit of caution, and that is Ohio State has played amazingly well since the Oklahoma loss, especially JT Barrett. He's been amazing, put up Heisman-level Heisman level numbers. But you look at the opponents that's come against, Army, UNLV, at Rutgers, Maryland with their fourth-string quarterback, and at Nebraska. Whereas Penn State, their last five games, much more of a tough sled. They had that trip to Iowa where they took a team's best shot and managed to come back and win. They blew out Indiana, who's a pretty pesky team, had a good passing day against Ohio State and took Michigan to overtime. They blew out Northwestern in a day when their best player couldn't get anything going in the first half, and then they blew out Michigan. Penn State is battle-tested. Matt, you said they're firing all, all cylinders. I think it not being a night game also helps. Night games just bring out crazy atmospheres and – Playing an afternoon game, I think, does help a tad. And just the, the battle-testedness. I, you know, Penn State has already faced a much tougher sled, and I think they'll, they'll find a way to do it. I, I think it's going to be a great game. I'm expecting an all-time classic. I think it could be decided by a field goal or less. We, overtime wouldn't even surprise me. Yeah, Coach, I think one of the things that you have to worry about this game, especially if you're Ohio State, is the weather. It's supposed to be rainy there on Saturday in Columbus, and JT Barrett historically has not been great when conditions are not optimal. Um, he, you know, that Oklahoma game, there was some weather. He struggled against Wisconsin last year in the rain. Um, you know, it, so, you know, how much of the, how much is the weather do you think going to be a factor in terms of Urban Meyer's game plan? Well, um, you know, with JT Barrett, as, as much as he struggles, it's going to affect it quite a bit. Uh, depends on how bad the weather is. It depends on how hard it's raining, how often it's raining. If it's a freaking monsoon, it plays right into Penn State's game plan. Uh, and if you can make Ohio State one-dimensional, they're one of those teams that it, they really struggle if they're one-dimensional. Penn State is a team that you would think would struggle, but really they don't struggle because not only are you getting a heavy dose of Saquon Barkley, but Trace McSorley is a pretty good runner himself. And, you know, they can do, they can still do a lot of things. And Penn State uh, has a really sure-handed tight end in, in uh, Gasecki or, you know, whatever. His, I can't pronounce his name, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that always helps in the rain. And one of the things that Ohio State has struggled with this year is the vertical passing game, and that's going to be mitigated even more if there's a lot of weather. And so, yeah, and, and, and what, what's going to happen, uh, what's going to be the biggest key for, for Ohio State is going to be their, um, their depth in the defensive front. I mean, they're going to get pounded on. They're going to get wore down, and they're going to get – that, I mean, Penn State's going to grind it with, with Saquon Barkley, and he's pretty explosive too. So um, they're 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 going to get a heavy dose of that, and they're going to get a heavy dose of 315, 320 pound linemen banging on them all night long. And you know, do they have the depth? Do they have the guys that you know? If you're starting, if your starting guys need a break, can they you know 
can the backups come in and off, you know, not not have it be a such a huge drop off. So that's going to be the key for for Ohio State if they can just keep that quality depth and get some plays out of their backups up front and really just corral Saquon Barkley. That will that will go a long way in deciding the outcome of this game, and that'll go a long way in helping them deal with the potential bad weather. All right. Well, um, Josh, you alluded to the Cyclones a little bit earlier. Um, they are hosting number uh, number five, number four, I should say, TCU this weekend uh, in Ames. And Iowa State, man, uh, they are on a roll of late. So can they pull off another huge upset in the Big 12? They've already knocked off Oklahoma. Uh, can they knock off uh, a TCU team that seems to be the most well-rounded in the conference? Can they? Yes. Will they? I don't think so. I think that the uh, yeah TCU so much to play for being in the top five. They're they've got playoffs on the line, and they you know you can't take Iowa State as a joke after three straight wins. Uh, the the big thing I think for this game is. TCU's rush defense, third in the country, allowing just 80 yards per game. Iowa State, during this run, has had some amazing play by David Montgomery. And even with his improvement the last few games, they're still only 110th in rushing. I don't think they're going to be able to find a way to get balanced I think TCU pulls away late in the game, but Iowa State, again, I said it during our recap show, this is a successful season if they made a bowl game. It's really fun being in the Big 12 race to end October. No one was expecting that, but they're still in line for a nice season, their first bowl under Coach Campbell. So uh, let's not be too mean to them if, if this game goes off the rails and they get blown out because the, the improvement's clearly there. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're starting to kind of find their identity, and, and they're still, as far as developing, they're still a fairly young program under Matt Campbell. And, you know, he's done a tremendous job there, and, you know, I don't want to take anything away from what they've done out there in Ames, but I, th- this is not a game that's set up for them to be successful. I mean, TCU is going to take away their biggest weapon right now in David Montgomery, they're going to harass Jacob Park. They're going to they're going to lock him down. I mean, this is probably one of the best defenses Iowa State will ever face, maybe in the history of Iowa State. Probably not, but I mean, <laughs> no, I mean some bit. of those but, Nebraska defenses and Oklahoma defenses back in the day. In, yeah, in the, in the no, Big I Eight know. days. But. I, I was I was exaggerating a little bit when I said that. Maybe by maybe by like one defense or so. But um, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, this will be you know. Uh, this is just it's going to be tough sled for them. And if, if they can't get anything going through the air, uh, it's going to be an extremely long day for Iowa State. And quite frankly, I think it's going to be an extremely long day for Iowa State. I, I think, uh, you know, not that I'm not giving them credit. I just, I don't know. Just, this is just not, they're just going to run into a buzzsaw, I think. There's nothing that, it's not, it's nothing that they're going to do wrong. It's just TCU is going to do everything right. Well, I, I'm going to be rooting for Iowa State here for sure, but oh, definitely going to be rooting for. Them, but I just, 
I just don't see it. But also, you know, if, if, if you're watching college football on Saturday, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, let's face it. Um, at, at, in that 2.30 p.m. Central time, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, time slot, you've got the Penn State-Ohio State game, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, the TCU-Iowa State game, and the game we're going to talk about next, uh, NC State-Notre Dame, all kicking off at the same time. So uh, I hope you've got multiple screens in your house or man cave or wherever you are watching the games. Um, but let's switch over to that matchup in uh, in South Bend where a Notre Dame coming off of that uh, blowout of USC is going to be riding high, but they have to face an NC State team, Josh, that has a much, much better defense than USC and a quarterback in Ryan Finley who, unlike Sam Darnold, who's been very – uh, turnover prone this year hasn't thrown an interception in more than uh, 330 pass attempts going back to last season. So, can NC State, um, you know, uh, can NC State hold down that Notre Dame rushing attack? Can they? This yes. Sounds, yeah, this just sounds like just like you did last game. Will they? Maybe. Uh, they're actually sixth best rush defense in the country at 91 yards per game, but. Just a different take on this game, and that is this was the nightmare scenario for this ACC by proxy thing for Notre Dame. What is the incentive for NC State in this game? They host Clemson next week. Clemson is 4-1 and one in conference. NC State is 4-0. and oh. Why do the Wolfpack care about this non-conference game? If I was Dan Gorin... If, if they want to go to the playoff, they ought to care about it. They're, four, they're 14th in the country right now. I don't think they can climb 10 spots. If they beat it. Notre Dame and they beat Clemson, they can climb. I don't think... If they win the ACC championship, they'll definitely be in the mix. If they go to the ACC championship at... Uh, if they win the ACC championship, they win out, they'll be 13-1 and one with their only loss week one of the season against South Carolina. Uh, that team is in the playoff. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I wish Dave Dorn would uh, do a double bird to the uh, NCAA, Notre Dame, NBC, every party involved, and uh, just rest Finley. This game, just say, hey, we gotta get ready for Clemson. <laughs> and then his, then his AD's like, yeah, it's not a good idea. You could go to the playoff, playoff, and it, it, yeah. I just have a theory. You can't. I just have a theory that for undermatched teams like NC State, it's next to impossible to beat two top ten teams in back to back weeks. Well. uh they're six and one for a reason. So yeah, they, had they, have, well, they haven't they haven't played two top ten teams in a row. Well, why can't why can't they beat two top ten teams? They haven't they have a stud quarterback. They have, uh, you know, they have pretty good defense. I still don't think they have the program depth. They, they have they, they've got they a have, balanced offense. They've got a very they have good defense. Chubb. They have Naim Hines. I think I said it right. Naeem uh, Hines, yeah. Naeem Hines. And, and Notre, it's and, not like Notre Dame is, is running deep either. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're kind of the same. Some of the guys, they, they evaluated didn't pan out to be five stars like, like we thought. So, 
Uh, and and like don't, don't forget about Jalen Jalen Samuels too. He's a all-purpose kind of guy for them who does a little bit of everything between, uh, you know, he, he runs the ball, he catches the ball. He's a big factor in the return game. Um, you know, they've got some weapons, but NC State's a, the type of team that that will come in and just freaking crush your soul. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame's mental toughness. And I think Brandon Wimbush, his mental toughness will be a factor in this game. Can he handle adversity on the road? If he can, then well, it's not on the road. It's, it's at home. I mean, it's it's in it's in South Bend. So. Well, even better. Can he handle adversity at all? Um, didn't didn't handle it all that well at home against a team starting their starting a true freshman for the first time in the Georgia Bulldogs. That defense got to him. Um, they just struggle with attacking style defenses. Um, they they struggle with blitz, um, and if they can't get Josh Adams going, they're really going to struggle. So uh, they haven't struggled lately, but um, obviously, but you know the teams that that have been thrown at them besides USC have been uh, tomato cans, as they say in the boxing world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be an interesting game, but I wouldn't count NC State out by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think, and it's, especially because you know Notre Dame is such a run-heavy offense at this point. Um, I think they're two pretty equal teams, truthfully. Um, you know, talent-wise, I think they're pretty even. I mean, again, I'll be—I'll definitely be rooting for the Wolfpack here. Um, I don't know if they can get if they can get the victory. Uh, Notre Dame is favored by seven and a half in this game. Uh, if I was a betting man, I, I, I kind of like that seven and a half point line because I think it's going to be a one score game. Going Screw it, I'm, I'm picking the Wolfpack. And the straight upset, I like it, Coach. Th- this like this it. is the type of game. N- NC State has a history of winning games like this. This I is mean, true. How, how do you, how do you think Florida State's? You know, who do you think Florida State lost their second ever ACC game to? NC State. First one was Virginia. All right, when Florida State was dominant, Tory Holt and 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 Philip Rivers beat Florida yeah. State. All right. Well, uh, finally, history. Uh, we're going to stick in the ACC for our last game, um, and we're going to uh, those uh, <clears throat> Clemson Tigers are hosting the Rambling Wreck of Georgia Tech down there in Death Valley on uh, on Saturday night, uh, eight p.m. Eastern kickoff. Um, this should be a fun one because uh, Clemson is hoping that Kelly Bryant uh, will be able to go. All signs are pointing to uh, the fact that he should be able to go. But Georgia Tech, they have been in every single game this year. Uh, their, their two losses are both heartbreakers to one to Tennessee and one to Miami. Uh, so, uh, Coach, you, uh, you obviously hate the Yellow Jackets and are married to a Clemson grad. So, um, I am. I'm curious as to how you see this one playing out. Well, I mean, I see it playing out like like pretty much all the text games played out. I think they're going to give them hell for three and a half quarters, and then find a way to lose it at the end. Uh, that's just <laughs> kind of the that's just kind of the mo of this uh, this year's Georgia Tech team. But you know, as much as I hate Tech, I have to appreciate the way that uh, Taquan Marshall is running the triple option. And how effective he is at running the system. I, you know, this is probably one of Paul John. This is this is Paul Johnson's best fit at, at the quarterback position since he arrived at Georgia Tech. He hasn't had a quarterback that's run it this good. He's had quarterbacks that have been, you know, good throwers or good 
runners, but he's never had a combination of both. And Taquan Marshall is that guy, and he is a freaking perfect fit. And he wasn't even recruited as a quarterback. That's the crazy part. But, um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, their, their, their crunch time mistakes are going to really hinder them, uh, just like they have against Tennessee, just like they did against Miami. Uh, and that's just kind of how they roll. And so I, I don't think much is going to change. That's just kind of – that's become their identity. You know, one time's a fluke. Uh, twice. Uh, okay, we're starting to lean towards trend. And I think it's happened three times. So, um, three times they folded, I believe. No, they're four and two on the season. So, or there was one time they folded and almost lost, or should have lost and barely won, or something like. That. There was, mm-hmm. it was it was last week against Wake Forest. Yeah, actually, um, they they came back and actually were able to pull it out. But they, I mean, they they tried to find ways to lose and Wake Forest didn't want it apparently, but um, you know, they're, they're extremely solid football team. And if you let them, uh, if you let them control the ball, they will control the ball. They have the ability to control the ball on the clock and they can really severely limit your possessions. So uh, I guess the, you know, what Georgia tech does a great job of is they put a lot of pressure on you to score when you have the football, because you don't know, you don't know. It might be, it might be a half a quarter before you get it back. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's that's probably their biggest strength. Well, Josh, um, you know, the team the only team that we've really seen have any success against Clemson this year is Syracuse, but their offense is, you know, kind of a polar opposite from Georgia Tech. So do you think there's anything that Paul Johnson can take from what Syracuse did against Clemson is in implemented against uh this Tiger team? Yeah, I mean Syracuse managed to run the ball pretty well all things considered 162 carry or 162 yards on 50 carries for Syracuse uh Dungy got loose for that 45 yarder um had some other okay runs um and that's the key obviously with that option offense going up against what is the 13th best run defense in the country uh just under 108 yards per game, just two touchdowns a lot, 2.9 yards against per carry. So Clemson's defense, great against the run, slipped a little bit against Syracuse, and, and that kind of bit them a little bit. But on the flip side, you know, Kelly Bryant banged up, and Clemson, really good running team. So in the past, Clemson would just go super easy and just turn and hand the ball off and and chip away and Clemson's got the 25th best rush offense, but this is a different animal with Georgia tech this year. Coach mentioned how they have the best quarterback Paul Johnson's had. Well, they've got probably their best defense they've had since going to the orange bowl a few years ago. Uh, their defense is playing extremely well. They're a top 20 rush defense as well. Uh, this is going to be a battle. I think whoever, can run the ball better, will be able to win the game. But those yards are not going to be easy to come by. No, mm-hmm. definitely not. It'll be All a right. slugfest. All right, gentlemen. Well, it's time to hit some spread formations uh, for our final segment. Uh, coming into the week, uh, Coach is leading the way. He's uh, been correct on the 60% of the game so far this year. He's at 20. I got to increase that. He's at a 24 and 16. Josh, right at 500, 20 and 20. And I am just trailing after a big week last week. I'm at 19 and 21. So our first game on the board, uh, we got another 
you know, Cal has been a staple of this podcast this year. And so we're going back to the well with Cal. They are uh, three-point underdogs at Colorado. Uh, so, Josh, uh, who you like in Boulder? Well, you got to look at who's trending up and who's trending down. They're both four and four, one and four, but they've arrived at that very differently. Colorado has won just one game in their last five, and that was at god-awful Oregon State. They just got shut out a week ago. Cal, on the other hand, they've only won one of their last four, but they have five. You know, one of their last five, but they've had a little bit tougher schedule. They're hanging in games, uh, you know, hung pretty well with USC, hung with Arizona. They went to overtime. Cal just looks better. I'm going with the eye test. I'm going to take Cal on the road to pull off the upset. All right, Coach? I'm going to trust my gut and go with the, the Golden Bears. All right. Um, well, let's make it a sweep for the Bears. Uh, they they did me well last week, so I'm going to keep riding Justin Wilcox and the Golden Bears. Um, next, we have uh, the Red Raiders, t- Texas Tech, heading to Norman to take on Oklahoma, who are 20-point favorites at home. Josh, uh, can Oklahoma cover this big spread? Yeah, stick a fork on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They're done. They got – Humbled by West Virginia in that massive comeback and then came out flatter than flat against Iowa State, a team that physically punished them. I actually think that Iowa State was so physical in that game. This is weird to say, but I think the Cyclones are actually going to beat Texas Tech twice. And the Raiders are just going to lay an absolute egg at Norman. Yeah, I I don't trust Texas Tech at this point. I, I think the I think the cl- the curtain is starting to close on on GQ up there. So uh, Oklahoma's going to roll. All right. Well, um, you know, I, I, part of me is inclined to believe that, but Oklahoma, you know, only has the fifty. It ain't going to be about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the fifty second best defense in, you know, in the. In, in FBS. So, you know, as, as bad as Texas Tech has looked recently, I think they can keep it within 20. So um, I'm going to go with Coach GQ and the Red Ravers to cover that big spread. All right, next, uh, we're heading out to the Mountain West. Uh, Boise State, eight and a half point favorites on the road at Utah State. Uh, Josh, who you like here? Well, at first, I thought, why are we doing this game? Boise State's just going to blow them out. And then I kind of refreshed my memory, and Boise State beat Troy by 11 on the Smurf turf. They beat New Mexico on the Smurf turf by 14. Uh, they went to BYU and had a nice win, but a kind of a flat performance against a dreadful Cougar team. And then following their big win a week ago, they came out flat again on the Smurf turf against Wyoming and won by just 10. Utah State is playing way better than they did at any point last year. I think a lot of that has to do with the health. I think they hang around. They ultimately lose 28-21, but they cover. All right. Coach? Nope. I think Boise State wins by 10. You got, you got Boise? Yeah. 
All right. This is um, the time of year where they crank it up. Um, Josh, I'm rolling with you on this one, man. Um, uh, Utah State, uh, they, they're forcing turnovers left and right, and they are much healthier you know, um, than they have been at any point. Um, and Boise State just feels not like a vintage Boise team. I know they have that big win at San Diego State, but it still doesn't feel like, um, you know, the Boise State we've come to know and love over the last 15 years. So um, I'm going to go Utah State losing close, uh, something like 24-21, 24-20, right around those lines. So I'm going to have Utah State to cover as well. Uh, next, we're headed to a big matchup um, up in Conference uh, U.S. of A. Um, Florida Atlantic, um, who I rode last week to a big win, um, they are seven-point favorites on the road at Western Kentucky. Josh, what do you like here? Well, I really liked the Owls earlier in the week because there's some common opponents that Florida Atlantic – beat more impressively than Western Kentucky. They had that put-up-or-shut-up game where they absolutely drubbed North Texas. But here's the thing. Western Kentucky is the premier program in this conference. Mm -hmm. And I do the same thing pretty much with Oklahoma. I just always pick Oklahoma, even in, like, Bedlam, things like that. I just don't think the Hilltoppers lose at home. And you're telling me that they're a road, they are a home underdog by a touchdown? Are you kidding me? I will gladly take those points because I trust the Hilltoppers. Yes, I'm going with the Hilltoppers as well. Um, you you got to trust them at home. got to trust them with the points. They're a high-flying offense. So, so give me the Toppers. Toppers are going to win twice this week. Oh, I love it, Coach. If you catch, um, my, if you catch my drift. Except um, I'm taking the Owls. Um, I'm all aboard the Kiff train, baby. Um, this, this FAU team is explosive. And Western Kentucky, you know, I, I, again, you know, they are not a vintage Western Kentucky team. Josh, you mentioned those common opponents. And FAU has been getting significantly better week by week. I think they're, I think they're going to keep rolling and I'm going to take the Owls to win uh, by 17 on the road. Mm-hmm. Finally, uh, it's that time of the week. Time to pick the ridiculous Kansas line. Um, this week, we have the battle for uh, the Sunflower State, the uh, the Governor's Cup. Um, it's being played um, at Kansas uh Beyond the track, uh, Kansas State, though, 24-and-a-half-point favorites uh, at Kansas. Josh, who you got here? 24-and-a-half mm, points. Let's see. Kansas State would have covered that last year. They would have covered that in 2015. They would have covered that in 2014. They would have covered that in 2012. They would have covered that in 2011. They would have covered that in 2010. Just in this eight-game winning streak, just two times, Kansas State kept it within that margin. Give me Wildcats. Coach? Yeah, I, it's Kansas. Um, they, might be, <laughs> they might be contacting me for the head coaching job here pretty soon. So, um, and, and in order to do that, they have to continue not covering 
24 and a half point spreads. So why start now? Yeah, I, I, I just considering how bad Kansas has played of late, they I mean they, they can't score at all. And Kansas State has been putting up some points even with their back and quarterback in there. Uh yeah, you know, give me the Wildcats. Uh sorry, sorry, Rock Chalk. There is you know, you guys got nothing at this point. Oh, fun fact about Tennessee. Um, <laughs> they've been 14 quarters without an offensive touchdown. The last time they scored an offensive touchdown was uh, against UMass in the first half. I, I don't know where that came from, but coach, that is some, that, that is some great fun facts. So you said, you said, uh, you said Kansas can't score. And it made me think about it. Uh, this just in Brian Ferentz said, hold my beer. <laughs> Good lord. Well, it's a challenge accepted. It's time for us to finish up here for our, our week nine preview. So, uh, Josh, any final words? What? We didn't get to the uh, Mr. Irrelevant games. We have one in seven San Jose State at one in seven BYU and one in six Texas State at one in six Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers. Oh, we ran out of time again. The- the teal turf. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not excited, Josh, about um, uh, about Old Dominion, North Texas? Those just are teams that are at least competent. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, um, in any word, uh, Coach, any last words from you? I think you guys said it all. Well, uh, that would be that would be a first for us. So uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up here, gentlemen. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator here in Music City, the coach Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, up in the second city, Josh Cook. This is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Legal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.